Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Abby Geiki. Abby is a wife and mom of two young boys living in the Midwest. She is a speech-language pathologist and a certified lactation counselor with specialty training in breastfeeding lactation counseling, infant feeding disorders, and childhood feeding difficulties. She started her career in the suburbs of Chicago, where she gained specialized experience working with children with various feeding and swallowing difficulties. Those experiences solidified her passion in the area of feeding and swallowing, and she loves getting the opportunity to help families feel empowered when it comes to feeding their child. In today's episode, we will be discussing solid foods, when to start them, how to start them, and more. Have you been wondering if your baby is truly ready to start? Which foods do you start with? Baby-led weaning or purees? When is a feeding evaluation warranted? Personally, I learned so much from this episode, and I hope you do too. Here we go. All right, Abby, how are you? I am good. How are you? So good. We are really excited to have you on today. And I'm sorry, I'm excited to be here too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We were just so, Abby and I were just talking about how it's 8 p.m. and, well, 7 p.m. where you are, Abby, and we are cooked. <laughs> We're ready for yes. bed. So as you can tell, we're just, yeah, we're going to get through this. So today we are going to be talking about starting solids, which is a really big topic, whether or not you start purees, whether or not you start with baby led weaning, a combination of both, how to do it, when to do it, all those good things. So we're going to spend about 20 to 25 minutes talking about that, and then we'll dive into the community questions. Perfect. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about the area of feeding and swallowing in children? Yeah. So I'm a speech language pathologist and I think not everyone maybe understands that that profession also includes uh, specializing in feeding and swallowing just because of the name of our profession, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, from the time I I don't know, was little. I always knew I wanted to get into a helping profession. Um, that's just kind of my personality. Uh, both my parents were teachers, so I wanted to get into a helping profession. And then once I got into school, I found, yeah, my passion in this area of speech pathology, but the medical pediatric side of it 
And I guess where I really dived headfirst was on one of my first internships out in the field, I got to help in the NICU. And so speech language pathologists work in NICUs and help babies uh, transition to oral feedings, uh, learn how to feed from the bottle or to breastfeed, all of those things. And it was an amazing experience working with moms, working with other professionals. And honestly, just that connection that I got to observe before I even had kids that uh, the ability to feed your baby is an emotional an emotional roller coaster, yes. but definitely one that can make moms feel empowered or it can make them feel like they're failing. So I wanted to be part of the solution of helping them feel empowered. So that's kind of how it started. And then I got to dive in once I had my first job after grad school. I was lucky enough to work for a clinic that uh, specialized in pediatric feeding and swallowing. So I got to see a lot of kids with some very interesting medical complexities that was making feeding hard for them. And then fast forward to me becoming a mom myself, really understanding the part of being a mom and all the hormones and all the changes and everything that goes with it. And then also trying to help your baby feed and thrive and, you know, do life well. I felt like this had become like my passion project is I want to help parents. I want to help moms feel like feeding your baby is is easy. Maybe easy isn't the right word, but uh, is a good relationship that you want to have with your child. Feeding them, they they look forward to mealtime. They look forward to being with their their mom or their dad during mealtime. So that is long story short, <laughs> kind of what empowered <laughs> me to <laughs> just really dive down into this specific area. No, I love that. That's great. So I did read very briefly in your bio that you had had some issues with your babies, right? Yes, yes. So yes, I can definitely. So um, my first son, who's now three, at birth, I had identified that he has a tongue tie, uh, which had made nursing really, really difficult, really painful. He was not very efficient. Even with bottle feeding, it was hard. So uh, early identification, we had his tongue tie revised and it completely improved breastfeeding, nursing, bottle feeding. Uh, So that in itself was kind of an eye opener just for when I'm talking about parents like about feeding difficulties, I can relate. But then my second son, who's now 11 months, uh, we have been through it (laughs) with him. And I think (laughs) he, he is my, my greatest teacher so far. Yeah. So yes, some early feeding difficulties, we were able to transition past those, but then just some transition to solids. Like that was interesting. It wasn't as easy for him as it was for my firstborn. So I had to try some new strategies, some new things that I tell parents about. And I really found it almost to be a little bit more fun (laughs) because how could I now help him since it wasn't just an easy thing for him to put foods in his mouth or for him to eat well. So he's been my greatest teacher. And I think it's made me a better feeding therapist as well. That's awesome. So I know that this is, you know, this podcast is really focusing on starting solids, but because you brought it up, I know that some of the listeners might be saying, well, you know, with tongue ties, so this comes up a lot, right? And especially when, when mothers are struggling with trying to nurse their babies, uh, what are some of the, the things that, that moms can look out for that might be an indication that their baby has tongue tie? 
Yes, definitely. So with tongue tie, it sometimes can be noted, I feel like, as a hot topic. Uh, Here's what I will tell you from personal experience, but also as a specialty area of mine. Tongue tie is literally meaning that there is a tissue, your frenulum under your tongue, that is very tight um, and it restricts movement. And oftentimes it is most obvious, I would say, usually at birth and usually with moms and babies with breastfeeding difficulties. Uh, Now, some babies compensate really well and breastfeed okay without issues, but then we notice it more impacting their transition into solid foods where they need more complex movements with their tongue. So some signs and symptoms of tongue tie that we notice with babies that are breastfeeding or bottle feeding. Uh, Number one, you might have a noisy feeder, meaning you hear a lot of tongue clicking or them breaking the seal as they're bottle feeding or breastfeeding. Um, Milk leakage, so they're losing a lot of milk out the corners of their mouth. Gulping, you can hear them swallowing air essentially, uh, and that's due to the tongue not able to fully make that beautiful wave-like motion that extracts the milk from mom or from the bottle to swallow efficiently. So they're just compensating the best they can. And a lot of times we get a lot of air and those can also be our babies that appear to be really reflexy, but in essence, their tummies are just upset because of how much air they're ingesting. Some other things can be weight gain, obviously. So if uh, baby's not gaining weight well, especially with breastfeeding, that can be a sign that we're not transferring milk. The sad thing I've realized is A lot of times in our society, we are putting that on mom, like mom's not producing enough. And not that I feel better putting it on baby, but it's usually not a mom issue. It's more of a baby not able to fully extract and get that beautiful suck that helps mom produce the Mm -hmm. the milk she should. So those are some early signs and symptoms, Uh, some signs and symptoms that you might notice when your baby's transitioning to solids are... Increased gagging, so gagging a ton, more so than than normal. Hard swallowing food, so they're not chewing it. They're just kind of sucking on it and and swallowing it down. Uh, Obviously choking, so uh, choking is a scary thing for sure. Uh, And it can happen by accident. But if you're noticing that every time your baby puts something in their mouth, uh, they're choking a lot, that can be a red flag of tongue tie. Now, here's what I want to tell you is these can also be red flags of other things that... I'll probably talk about tonight. So it doesn't necessarily mean right away, yeah, my baby has a tongue tie, that's why they're doing this. But what I'm going to tell you is please seek out a knowledgeable knowledgeable provider in this area because not every pediatrician or not every ENT or not every dentist is specialty trained in this area. So they can go undiagnosed or unnoticed unless you go to a provider that knows what they're looking for and knows how to fully assess for it. So that would be my biggest takeaway is... Don't jump to the worst case scenario, but definitely seek out a provider that can help you. Okay. Now, would that be somebody like you, obviously? Yes. Yeah. So I diagnose the the functional side of things. And you might understand this, Lindsay. So from a physician side of things, they're going to diagnose the structure, what they see, right? So (laughs) yes, I see a tongue tie. But then I get to go in and diagnose like, okay, what's the functional impact? Is it impacting feeding later on? Is it impacting their ability to make speech sounds? All of those kind of things. So yes, a speech language pathologist, IBCLCs. So speech language pathologists can also be trained in lactation, but there's also specific lactation providers as well. So they can be trained in it. Occupational therapists, physical therapists who work with 
babies, they can all be trained in it as well. So yeah, reach out to people that you know on their website or on their social media page. It should say that they have knowledge in that area. Excellent. So let's jump into starting solid foods. What are the biggest indicators that babies are ready? Yes. Oh, this is a big one. I want people to really listen to these, these points. So it has nothing to do with age. I mean, it does in the fact of like between four to six months is usually ideally the best time, but it actually has everything to do with their, their gross motor control and their postural support. So I really, really want parents to take away that we want babies to be able to sit up with pretty much unassisted. So maybe if they're not fully independent, but they have some pretty good core trunk skills to, to sit up if you know they have a backside of a high chair on them and they're not falling over or leaning forward. Those are good signs. They have good head control. They can hold their head up. Those are big, big indicators of success in starting solids. Also baby mouthing objects. So they're wanting to put their hands in their mouth. They're putting teethers in their mouth. They're putting anything they see in their mouth. That's showing that they have that hand mouth coordination. And they're showing the skill of like, yes, I can bring things to my mouth and I like to explore with my mouth. And then just some other things are like, you know, maybe they're reaching for foods while they're watching you eat, or they look at you with excitement uh, during mealtime or at siblings during mealtime. Those are some good indicators that they seem ready. But I hit hard on the trunk support and the postural support because I think about it if like you and I were just like laying on the couch and someone tried to spoon feed you, you're not going to, you're not going to have good control of that in your mouth, right? (laughs) Like it wouldn't look good. So to expect a baby to just be like kind of laying there and you're feeding them, you know, food that they've never had, like this is a brand new skill for them. That postural support helps them to have improved oral motor skills for feeding. So that is a big takeaway. Excellent. And I'm just going to add this in here. I just from my experience with four kids so far, every single one of my kids has been really completely different as far as this goes. And I will say that my fourth baby, who's now almost nine months, she was my first to sit up really, really early. My kids just like doing things like on their own. They're, they were all pretty lazy. <laughs> but she was like, really, she was sitting up by like four and a half, five months. And she was like, reaching for all of my food. And just she was like my earliest baby to eat. Yeah. And I was like putting it off because I was like, I don't know, you're like four and a half months, girl, slow down. Yes. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> so I think I started giving her, you know, some things at like just over five months, but yeah. she was ready way before my other babies. So I like wasn't used to it. So yes. it really is a, you know, baby to baby you know, analysis. It's, it totally varies. It is. Yeah. And that's one thing where, you know, I, I mean this in a loving way towards pediatricians, but it almost seems like with feeding, you know, they hit an age mark and they're like, Oh, now you can start giving them salads. Whereas, you know, we don't do that with any other skill. You know, we don't say like, Oh, they're nine months now make them crawl. Now they're 12 months, make them walk you know, we build into those skills. And that's what I want parents to know too, is we build into feeding skills. And you're right, some babies are like ready and raring to go. And then some babies, yeah, we do more like look at six, seven months sometimes, just depending Mm -hmm. on their skill level. Yeah. 
Okay. So I know this is a really hot topic. We were just discussing this before we <laughs> yeah. started the interview because, you know, I'm like in the midst of this right now with, you know, my fourth and I've always like just done a, a like a combination of baby led weaning and purees. Like I, you know, I'll get nervous yeah. and I'll go back and then I'll just, well, I don't only have this in my fridge, so we're doing this today. And so I've never really been one or the other. And so I'd love for you to discuss, you know, baby led weaning versus puree feeding. Is there a right way? Is one better than the other? You're right. It's a hot topic. Here's what I will say. As a feeding specialist, I will tell you, if you are feeding your baby and it is a pleasant experience, you are doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. So I do also believe in a a mixed view of using puree feeding and baby led weaning. As a feeding specialist, um, what I've found is in the baby led weaning, I guess, community, there are some moms out there or groups out there that have decided there should be hard and fast rules with, with baby led weaning, whereas you know, they shouldn't have purees and it should be very like uh, they can sit wherever they want to feed. And as a feeding specialist, what I will tell you is they can't sit wherever they (laughs) please. I would like them to be in a supported chair. And number two, like puree feeding is part of regular feeding. You and I eat yogurt. We eat oatmeal. We eat hummus. We eat guacamole. Those are purees. So to divide these things is also something that I just don't think is fair. Puree feeding, I do believe, is still a good starting point. Do you have to? No, but I do think it's still just an easy transition texture because baby is used to milk. And so a thin puree is just a nice, easy step that most babies are pretty accepting of and have a pretty positive experience with their first couple of times trying it. So I still do like offering purees first. And then as they're showing great interest and great skill, um, within a few weeks, I'm ready to start offering soft solids. So the baby led weaning approach is allowing your baby to self-feed, which I do think is an amazing skill. With puree feeding, where it can get a bad rap or a bad reputation is that we are deciding how much our baby should feed because we are spoon feeding them. Mm-hmm. And we're deciding like, you need to have a whole container of this. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily allowing our kids to become intuitive eaters, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. they should be in control of when they feel full of when they like something or when they just want a few bites of something. That is, I think, the overarching goal of baby led weaning is allowing baby to self feed and figure out what they like and what they don't like. That's what I think parents should take away is baby led weaning. You don't have to follow specific rules, but we just want to encourage your baby to have them learn instead of mom or dad forcing what we think they should eat in their mouths and let them explore. Long story, but I like to use both approaches and I really wish that there wasn't a divide because puree feeding is what should be included in baby led weaning as well. Excellent. All right. So what is your like overall best advice for parents that are starting solids with their with their children? I want moms and dads and caregivers to just have confidence and do what works best for your family. So if you as mom are so nervous about this baby led weaning world about what should I give, what shouldn't I give, and you feel more comfortable starting with purees, then start with purees. 
if you are a mom that's like, no, I'm ready to give them what we're eating at the table. Amazing. Then do that and feel empowered doing that. Because what I notice or where I get a lot of kids on my caseload is kids that are picky eaters or have a limited food repertoire or haven't transitioned past purees is sometimes due to parents' own preferences or parents being scared. You know, like, I didn't think I could give them soft solids or I didn't think that I could give them a variety of these kind of foods. I thought they needed to stay on purees for the first full year of their life. So then once baby turns one, they do become more selective. Like, yep, I only like sweet potatoes and bananas, nothing else. (laughs) Yeah. So we want to take advantage in that, I guess, pre-opinionated stage (laughs) and offer them more of a variety of of foods. So I guess the answer to that question is I just want parents to, to have confidence in feeding their baby. And a lot of times that results in baby feeling confident and feeling positive uh, with any way they interact with food. That's awesome. I love that. And I know once we dive into the community questions, there's like, we're going to cover a lot of probably all the questions that people have right now, which is like, you know, (laughs) do we start with one food and stick with that for a week? You know how there's all this. I remember when I had my first, it was like, it's actually kind of laughable. Like if you like videoed what I was doing with my first and now with my fourth, it's like wild because with my first, (laughs) I had like a chart. Okay. And I'd be like, okay, like this week we're starting mango. And like, I would only give her mango for a week and like wait, watch for a reaction. And now with my fourth, I'm giving her literally everything under the sun. And I'm like, oh, she has a rash. I wonder what that's from. Oh, well, let's move on. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether it's good or bad. That's where I'm at. So it's so funny because it's just, it's just different. Like when I was a first time mom, I really tried to do everything by the book and I'm like, well, you know, like, and you know, by the book, I'm just saying like, not a specific book, just yeah. like, I don't know what I heard or whatever. I don't know. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. You know? So yeah, we're going to be covering like a lot of questions. So just stay tuned for those. The one last thing I wanted to ask you though, is when, when moms start to feed, when moms and dads start to feed their, their child, is there anything they should be looking out for? as far as, you know, when a feeding evaluation might be warranted, like if the baby is having some issues? Definitely. So what I usually say is if your baby is choking and gagging frequently, like throughout most mealtimes and is completely disengaged or almost seems panicked during any time you offer them food, uh, that's usually a red flag, definitely a red flag. Then I would uh, seek out an evaluation Now, not necessarily maybe babies, but kids who have less than 15 foods, for sure less than 10 foods in their diet, that's a red flag. Babies that are always spitting out their food or uh, struggle to have it on their hands or on their face, become really upset, distressed, that's a red flag. Oftentimes, we want to have a feeding evaluation for that. Noticing even just your baby pocketing food. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just saw a baby this week where, oh yeah, he wants it. He puts it in his mouth, but then we just hold it there. We just hold it there for a really (laughs) long time. So cute, so cute, but he doesn't know what to do with it once it was in his mouth. So those can be red flags too. Just not having the motor skill to feed independently on solid foods. Those are definitely things. And then you know, some of my medical complex kids that I see. So, you know, if they have a G tube, an NG tube, it definitely would warrant C 
being a feeding therapist so that we can work on transitioning them to oral feed. Kids on the autism spectrum who have a lot of sensory needs. And again, I'm going to a little bit older age group, but that's what feeding specialists, that's what we pride ourselves on is helping kids expand their diet and improve their skill to feed. So those are some things I would watch out for. Excellent. Perfect. Okay. So I think this is a good time, unless you wanted to address anything openly before we dive into the community Q and A, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I think we can dive right in. Okay. Perfect. So I'm actually just going to, some of these are related to like how old the baby is. I wanted to start, let's see here. Oh, Perfect. Okay. So the first question I pulled up was, is it okay to go slow even at six months? Example, one food at a time for several days. So what is what what is your recommendation here? Is it recommended that you start with just one food or actually, you know what? Let's just X that out for a second. Let's start with what is the deal with cereal versus, you know, rice cereal versus whole grains, you know, all those different oatmeal cereals yes. and this and that and the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just go over that really quick? What is like, let's start from the very beginning. Cause I know there were some questions about that. And so, you know, you determine that your baby is ready. So you're seeing them bring their hand to their mouth. You're, they're sitting up relatively well, especially when they're, when they have support and they're ready to eat. So now what is that first step for moms? We don't want them to get anxious. What is the first thing that we should be introducing? Yes. So you know, I think for the longest time, kind of the go-to and maybe a lot of pediatricians or family practice doctors are still going this route, but we recommend rice cereal or oatmeal cereal. Um, so here's what I'm going to tell you. It's uh, not necessarily that you have to start with those. I think we had chose those because they were bland. They were most like milk. They were just thickened a little bit. And this has been completely debunked or research has found otherwise. We used to also recommend it to decrease reflux or help babies sleep through the night. Like, oh, just start giving your baby rice cereal. Just do that. That's been completely debunked. If anything, actually, it's caused more GI issues and constipation stuff. So anyways, getting off on, on that tangent a little bit. But what I would say is, sure, you can start with rice cereal, oatmeal, but you don't have to. I mean, those are good first puree textures, but I love to just start with a puree like fruit, veggie. That's another, I think, myth out there is I need to give vegetables first. So they don't develop a sweet mm -hmm. preference. Yes, that is also debunked. That is not accurate. So babies can um, develop their own taste profiles. It, it doesn't matter if we do fruit first or if we do vegetable first. I think in my personal experience, I, you know, I prefer fruits. So I had offered my kids fruits, but they eat both. So I think it's just as long as you're offering a wide variety. Now to go off what you were saying, like giving one food and then waiting five days. Just recently, the AAP or the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out with new guidelines saying that we want to offer allergen foods early and often. And we don't necessarily need to do the one food at a time theory because exposing our child to, child to more food early usually results in less allergen intolerances or allergies as they age. So offering egg early, offering nut butters early, 
offering gluten early. Um, now you don't have to do that right away. But what I'm saying is don't wait until they're 12 months or even nine months, like get those intermixed. Uh, so the very first start, how I do it with my sons and any of my feeding patients is I love to get them in the high chair, get some puree and dump it on their tray. Not the whole thing, just some of it. And I want them to play with it with their hands. So we experience the world, especially babies, they experience the world first a lot with their hands. So allow them to do that. And then most babies love that um, hand to mouth association, especially in those early months between four to six months is prime time for that. So let them bring that puree to their, their mouths first. So we are letting them be in control. I guess maybe a, a, I don't know if it's a pet peeve or something I cringe at when I see is when we give babies their very first spoonful of puree that they've never, ever had before. And they give that kind of like cute, like, oh my gosh, what is this in my mouth face? Mm -hmm. And kind of like spit it out or push their tongue out. That's normal. And that actually doesn't mean they don't like it. <laughs> they've just never had it. So that's why I like them to experience it first on their hands and with their other senses and allow them to bring it to their mouths first. And usually after they've had that experience, they will allow you to bring the spoon to their mouth and start opening and, and working on those spoon feeding skills. But that's how I start both of my boys and then also a lot of my feeding patients, which some moms are like, what? You're dumping, you, you want them to get messy? <laughs> and I do. I want, I want them to get messy. I, I mean, do. they're going to get messy no matter what. I mean, this yes. is like, I was talking to my husband. I was like, this is the phase, right? Where it's like, it's a disaster in the kitchen from now until like two years from now, because yes. <laughs> the high chair is a mess. The baby's a mess. The floor is a mess. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Yes. Yeah. So are there, I know you kind of said to introduce whatever, are there any foods that you preferably like to introduce? And I would love to hear what your thoughts are on your favorite foods to introduce like as a puree, maybe even like your favorite puree recipe and then like your favorite finger foods to kind of introduce earlier on. Definitely. Yeah. So I will admit, admit, I am not mom of the year when it comes to making my own purees. I did for a while with my first son, <laughs> um, but then I, I have used the store-bought ones but like I said, with purees, I don't like to stay on them too long. They're kind of just like the early feeding experiences. But I do like to go to like sweet potato, banana. Uh, what's my other one? Oh, squash. So those are more bland, easy flavors, it seems like for babies to, to very first start with. And they're more of a creamier puree. Sometimes the acidity of like applesauce or even like peas or things like that can sometimes really as a first flavor, be kind mm -hmm. of strong. Um, not that we can't offer it, but as a very first exposure, I just like prefer some of the creamier ones. But if we're starting with finger foods or, you know, the baby led weaning approach, I love to start with bananas. And you'll find on my page, there's different ways to present a banana that's in a safe way. I also love, again, sweet potato. So roasting a sweet potato and then cutting it into wed wedges. So here's a big thing that I want to stress to moms that feel confident starting very first off with the baby led weaning approach is between six to nine months is when babies fine motor skills, they're in the palmer grass phase, which means they kind of just grab things with their fists. So present foods in, in strips, 
so that they can grasp them and bring them to their hands or bring them to their mouth, excuse me, and kind of gnaw on them and mouth them, just like if they had a teether in their hand or a pacifier in their hand. As they get closer to nine months, that's when they develop more of that pincer grasp. So cutting things more into smaller cube-shaped things is easier for them because they're learning that skill. Early on, you're just going to see them kind of rake it. And most of the time, just rake it off their tray if it's in too small a pieces. <laughs> just onto yeah. the floor. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. not that you can't, but there's just going to be more success of it going to the floor than to their mouth. So definitely when you're first starting solids, I suggest Yes, giving them long um, strips of food. So even like a scrambled egg, like cut it into strips so that they can hold it and pick it up mm. that way. Any roasted vegetable or blanched vegetable, that's a great way to just soften those foods. I don't suggest raw vegetables unless they are highly, highly, highly supervised and they're just using it as like a chewing practice, almost like a teether. So, you know, like a raw celery piece or a raw carrot. Yeah, we do that a lot. Like to cut when we're like when I'm cooking dinner and I have her in the high chair, like right next to me, I just like yeah. cut up an apple and I'll give her a big chunk of it. And it's like, you know, from the fridge, it's not like soft, it's really hard. And I'll, she'll just yes. gnaw on it. And I just kind of like watch her and then obviously like take it away if I feel like she's getting too yeah. far <laughs> down. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are great for that. But this early on, they're, uh, you know, at higher risk of choking. So we, mm-hmm. we definitely do want to be careful. And to go off that, so, you know, the fear of choking, I, I hear that all the time with parents is like, I am so scared they're going to choke. So babies have gums, right? Most of them don't get molars until they're two or 18 months and beyond. So that's why I also think sometimes parents stick on purees too long. But I think about it like this. If it's a food that you can mash pretty well down in between your fingers, then that is safe to give your baby because uh, that's similarly to their gums, right? Like what can they mush down with their gums? Then it's safe. So if you do want to give your baby meats, for example, I definitely would recommend something that's very slow roasted, you know, like a a roast beef type thing where it's been roasting in the crock pot all day and it's so soft that, you know, you can break it down in between your fingers. But I do caution parents to be careful with meats that are, you know, just grilled or kind of, I don't know, tough because there are studies um, that recently have come out that Babies are a lot higher risk of choking on meats when they're not easily uh, able to break them down. So keep that in mind. Okay. All right. So this is a good one for what we've been chatting about. So one of the people from my community, she said, my almost seven month old refuses any food that's not pureed. Any suggestions? Yes. So I I like to build off purees, build off of what they can already do. So if we want to do textured. So starting with the puree that they have, and then let's think about maybe thickening that texture. So maybe adding a little bit of baby oatmeal to it or baby rice cereal to make it a little bit thicker and see if they can gradually accept a different texture. Um, What you can also do is dip teethers or silicone spoons in the puree and have them mouth and munch on those with the puree on it. So that's a way to safely practice like the chewing and the movement of their tongue with an item that they don't actually have to chew up and swallow. So I start there. And then I do tell parents to just continue to offer those soft solids. Give them the opportunity first. You know, if they just touch it and mush it in their hands, but then throw it off their tray, that's still a positive experience. Keep exposing them. When we limit our kids to like, oh, they can't do it. Oh, they don't like it. And we stop offering it. We're we're burdening them by... (laughs) 
by not giving them the chance to to learn to to yeah. teach themselves. Um, now I will say though, if you know, in a month from now, or as we get closer to nine months, if you're still noticing, you know, after trying some of these suggestions, you're still noticing difficulty, then I would say it would probably warrant reaching out to a professional about possibly needing a feeding evaluation. Okay. So this is a really good question as well. And coming from your background, I think this will be great. So sippy cup versus straw cup versus open cup. What do we start with first and why? Yes. So here's from an oral motor perspective. That's kind of my like bread and butter is what's the mouth doing? So we want the mouth to mature to support eating solids. So babies are born with immature oral motor patterns or reflexive motor patterns. Sucks while they're born with those. As they age, those should become skills. And with items like a sippy cup, or a spouted cup that's kind of just reinforcing the tongue pattern that we use for bottle feeding, which is more of an immature swallow pattern. So I do prefer if we can get babies practicing open cup or straw cup as you're starting solids, that's great practice. Now, are sippy cups all bad? No, I'm a mom myself. We go on trips. Sometimes I got to use a sippy cup. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I No yeah. mom shame here. No mom shame. But we got to work on the skill early and often because the recommendation is also that you rid your child of their bottle by 12 months. Well, a lot of times that's alarming to moms because it's like, well, then what? Because right. I mean, sure, they can take a sippy cup, but we haven't even practiced open cup or straw cup. I use a medicine cup. So I give my little 11 month old when he started solids, like I put water in a medicine cup while we were doing spoon feeding and I'd help him bring it to his mouth. And just practice. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's pretty much water play <laughs> at this right. point. Right, and it's but small. It's practice. Cup is small. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but it's just practice. And same with a straw. So I love, you know, using more of like a silicone straw so they can chew on it because that's what they'll do first. And then I like to dip it in water so they can try to kind of mouth it, but then they'll try to suck water out of it. And then just offer them the straw. And a lot of times babies will chew and mouth it, but then they usually by accident, do suck them up. And that's kind of how they learn (laughs) to start drinking from the straw. So right at six months, start offering the the open cup and the straw just while you're doing puree feeding or finger food feeding. And then what I do tell parents, because that bottle transition at 12 months can be a struggle, I feel like, if you have to start with going to a sippy cup, it's understandable. But I would say with a goal by... 16 months of completely ridding yourself of the sippy cup as well is a good goal. All right, great. So how often do you offer foods typically? Is it once a day or should you start doing it three times a day? So I think this, let's just say baby is six months and they're just starting either, you know, a combination of baby lid weaning and purees. How often should we be doing this throughout the day? Yeah. So uh, six, I usually say six to eight months or whenever they start five to eight months, uh, one time a day for sure. Like -hmm. if we can just get one time a day, because we think about it, their primary nutrition is still breast milk or formula. That's their primary nutrition. And yes, this practice matters, but sometimes we only have small windows, especially, you know, all of us moms who have busy lives, (laughs) we only have small windows to offer our baby. So, uh, starting with for sure, just one meal a day between 
that six to eight month period I encourage. Now, if you can do two, great. Um, but yeah, once we get closer to eight months, between eight to 10 months is then when I say, let's bump it up to two times a day. And then by 10 months up until they turn one, start offering three times a day. You can do some snacks in there if you want. Uh, but as they get closer to one, we want it to look more like a, our meals do, you know, right. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, some snacks in there. Great. Okay. So I know we touched on food allergies a little bit, but let's see here. Dana asked symptoms to look out for. So what should we be looking out for as far as if our baby is having an allergy? And I know we talked about how to introduce them. And it sounds like that you said the new guidelines are we should be introducing them early and frequently, right? Yes. But here's what I will preference with, and this is with anything I've said. If your child was born with allergies like intolerances and you've had to use special formula or mom's had to go on a special diet, definitely ask your pediatrician or doctor first about that method. That's the only time where I will say, be careful, because then sometimes we do want to be a little bit more strategic if early on they've already shown sensitivities. But as far as if, nope, it doesn't seem like they have, yeah, the the new guidelines do say, you know, the, the top allergens usually are right now, I think the top four, dairy, soy, egg, and then gluten. I think gluten is the Really? Peanuts one. are not in there, huh? Oh, nope. You're right. Sorry. Peanuts. Yes. I was that's so those little like, suckers peanuts. because... Yes. yes. No, you're right. You're right. Yes. Four. I was like, was it gluten? Nope. You are right. 100%. Yes. So dairy, soy, egg, and nuts are, or peanuts are the top ones in kids. So offering those, um, yeah, right around six months is what I will say too, though, is we want to do small amounts of those. So, uh, with a nut butter, I actually suggest usually thinning it out with either water or with milk, uh, Mm -hmm. breast milk or formula to make it a little less potent and a little less sticky. And offering just small dabs of it at first, if we're doing, you know, a peanut butter, um, with egg, same thing, you know, if you want to do scrambled eggs and just do a little bit to, to start and see if you get reaction, that's what I would do. Dairy is, I don't know, dairy is a hard one because it's in a lot of foods, but, you know, starting with maybe a yogurt. And again, you can, if you're nervous about it, if your baby's already demonstrated maybe an intolerance for the dairy, thinning it out with, again, breast milk or formula or mixing it with another consistency. So maybe it's not quite as strong and just kind of Mm -hmm. noting your baby's reactions. Now, as far as what reactions to look out for, that's kind of a little bit uh, outside of my scope. So that would be more of a dietitian or a pediatrician, but kind of the go-to hives or um, rashes, you know, GI stuff, all of those heavy breathing, panicked face, like our face is swelling, those kind of things. Okay. So this goes along with that. If a baby has a reaction, whatever it might be, how long do I wait before exposing again? So for example, she has a six month old and she had a baby that had hives after eating egg. Yes. And I would uh, defer that to asking your pediatrician or a dietitian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Excellent. See here. Oh, how about best types of bottles for oral and speech development? Yes. So again, there's no mom shame here. So if 
you are listening to this and your baby uses a different bottle than what I'm suggesting, but they're doing it well, then let them keep doing it well. <laughs> don't yeah, because things. let's be serious. Babies yes. like don't take bottles very yes. easily. So. Yes, yes. So that's what I'm saying. So if they're doing it well, but you're like, oh, this girl on the podcast said that's not a good one. No, no, no. If your baby is feeding well, that is great. Yeah, just keep keeping on. <laughs> yes, keep on keeping on. Yes. But, you know, if you're about to be a new mom or if you would just like this information for oral motor development, the type of bottles, nipples, pacifier nipples that I prefer are more of the ones that are long and narrow, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. I won't Mm -hmm. list specific brands, but I think you know which ones they are. Yeah. The ones that are flat and claim to be like an orthodontic pacifier Mm -hmm. are least preferred. And here's the reason why. It promotes the tongue staying flat on the floor of the mouth and it doesn't allow the tongue to cup around the nipple. You don't really have to do much. You just kind of like pump mm-hmm. your tongue up and down and mm-hmm. you can either suction the pacifier or get the milk down. Whereas the long narrow nipples, your tongue has to do more of an active movement to cup around the nipple and extract the liquids. So it's a better motor pattern for baby. So I really suggest if baby will take that type of bottle, that's preferred. Okay, excellent. So let's see. Okay, so we're starting solids. And obviously, you know, this definitely gives a different pattern to baby's GI system. Mm-hmm. And we start developing constipation, which is very difficult to deal with, <laughs> yes. you know, depending yes. on the baby. Do you have any tips for uh, avoiding or easing constipation when you start solids? Again, this is probably one like constipation realm. I probably would de- defer to, again, a dietitian or a doctor. But from just what I know uh, with working with OTs and PTs, tummy time is the most amazing thing for digestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know a lot of babies after eating don't love to be on their tummies. But uh, prior to feeding or after feeding can be a great thing for the, dig- the digestive system just to kind of build those core trunk muscles. And that also is why I recommend baby having postural support because when we can use our abdomen muscles, um, it helps with reflux. You know, it can help keep the the contents of our stomach down. As far as the constipation thing, you know, I, I encourage parents to take food logs, that kind of thing. But as far as making recommendations, I will defer that. Yeah. To excellent. Other professionals. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So. What are your thoughts on the pouches, like these little pouches that we can get at the store that are like yes. super easy? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. So let me say I have them at my house. <laughs> we, I use them when we need to. Again, kind of going off the oral motor development is they're not super preferred because they, again, encourage that suckling pattern, that immature pattern that you use when you're bottle drinking or when you're breath well breastfeeding is a little bit different but more bottle drinking or sucking on a pacifier however they are easy they are convenient they are usually pretty mess free so if your kid is developing typically and has a pouch here and there because it's an easy snack go for it but if that's the only vessel that your child will eat from then I would say we need to look into other options or look on introducing, you know, spoons or forks or different ways to self-feed. So pouches, I am going to tell you, I don't prefer them for oral motor development, but I use them too in my house. So, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Don't be mom shamed by using a pouch. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Phew. That was a little bit yeah. about your answer there. Okay. <laughs> so let's see. This might be something you defer, but let's ask it. So baby has a dairy sensitivity. Mm-hmm. It says, should I wean at age one with soy milk or a different type of milk? Yes. So it's hard. It, I talk about this with uh, parents that I see with babies, but I do usually discuss this with a dietitian on on children's teams usually or their doctor. But yeah, soy is usually the go-to. However, from what we've kind of learned, a lot of times if a child has a dairy allergy, it's not uncommon for them to also also have a soy allergy. Uh, However, here's what's hard is almond milks and other nut milks out there don't have a lot of super great nutrients for Mm. what baby needs at the age of one. I mean, you know, I drink it to, for, you know, to not have as fatty of a milk, but babies need the fat. So these, the newest milk out there that actually has gotten some good reviews from dietitians I work with is called Ripple Milk and it's made from peas and it has the same amount of me. Uh, calcium in it. So same amount of calcium as whole milk does, but um, not quite as much mm, vitamin D, I think. But anyways, that's one that I know that they are starting to recommend, but I definitely would say if you have concerns about that, I would, I would talk about it with your pediatrician yeah, um, yeah. or a dietitian. Yeah. And what did you say that was called? It was called Ripple, like R-I-P-P-L-E? Yes. Okay. Yep. okay. All right. Premature babies introduce solids according to their adjusted age? Question mark. Yes, definitely. Excellent. That was an easy one. And so, yeah, I think that's, I think we'll stop there because a lot of the other questions were really repetitive. So I'm just going to end with two random questions that I ask all my interviewees. And the first question is, if you could give moms any piece of advice, it can be about anything. It doesn't need to be about what we talked about today. What would it be? My number one piece of advice is think about the happiest time that you've had a meal. What did you enjoy about it? What was the atmosphere? What was the experience? And think about trying to recreate that for your baby or for your children. At home now, not every meal is going to be the best thing ever, but most kids remember positive mealtime experiences if it's facilitated by their parents. I have one more question for you. So, this is a good one. I'm excited for your answer. If there was one meal that you could cook that was fast, easy, and that everyone in your family would eat, what would it be? Fast, easy, and that everyone in my family would eat. I make a veggie Alfredo. Yeah. That's kind of my go-to. I know that seems maybe more complex, but let me tell you, I do buy the dairy-free Alfredo sauce. But I love to just saute a bunch of fresh veggies, squash, zucchini, peppers, and throw it in with chicken if you want. Um, and I use whole grain pasta, regular pasta, or I love to use chickpea pasta. Kind of loaded with you know, vegetables, it's loaded with the sauce. And that's kind of my go-to meal that I usually make when I'm in a hurry, which maybe doesn't sound as easy, but it, it usually is. Yeah. I mean, any type of a pasta dish, I feel like usually like tonight I just did 
pasta and meatballs. Called it a yeah. day. <laughs> and I not know, like I'm rolling my own meatballs over here. These are frozen. Yes, so. That's what I mean. Yeah, yes. I like, like that. Use I love what that you got. Use what you got. Yes. And then with my 11 month old, you know, I separate that. So I give him veggies in one part of his plate and then noodles on one part. So, yeah. you know, that's where we're still kind of wearing mixed textures are a little bit difficult yet, but We'll get, yeah. there. we'll get there. So I'm curious, uh, the dairy-free Alfredo sauce, is there one that you like? I do the Primal Kitchen brand. You like that one? I do. I like that yeah. one a lot. I like their, it, so they have just a regular Alfredo one and they have a garlic Alfredo one. And I really like the garlic one. Yeah. I, so the reason I say dairy-free is, is, yes, my 11-month-old is dairy-free. So okay. we've kind of changed our whole household in the last oh yeah you said he was really complicated right (laughs) yeah yeah yes yes I I told you he's teaching me um and so that's where we've had experience with too when I brought up the the pea milk was and I don't like calling it that the ripple milk yeah is uh that seems to be the best substitute once he's done with breast milk because I don't think whole milk will be something that he can transition to right away right well, this was really great. I'm so excited that you're that you were able to take some time out for us and answer all of our questions. Is there anything else that you think that we might have missed throughout this that you wanted to add? I don't think so. I really, really enjoyed coming on here and talking with you and your community. I seriously just stumbled upon your page at the beginning of the pandemic last year when I was home on maternity leave. So I have loved following your community and being part of it. Oh, we loved having you. I'm so excited for this to go live. I seriously, I don't think I've had as many questions for anybody as I did for you with this topic well, today. Good. So, yeah, I'm really excited for it. So thanks for hanging out with us. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.